heard. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Monica Riera. Last minute sub for Stacy this week. Very grateful you did it, Monica. Um, we'll get into all our topics in a second. If you want to follow the show, check us out on Facebook. We are live streaming there. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Same thing on YouTube. And again, Monica and I work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. How's everything going, Monica? You weren't planning on being here today. I appreciate you coming on. I was not planning on to be here, but uh, I got big shoes to fill. So uh, yeah, <laughs> let's get to it. All right. Uh, well, so let, let's jump right in. Uh, and we've got some news. We've got some things happening with the market. There's questions. Is the market actually normalizing right now? And also, just because of what's been going on the past week, I know you ran into a little bit of this with uh, Hurricane Ida. I mean, people don't realize how these natural disasters can affect the transaction in a lot of ways and some things to be prepared for with settlements coming up, closing. So we want to talk about that and, and obviously, you know, very uh, mindful that there, there, there's other bigger problems than that. But we're here to talk about real estate and that's what we're going to focus on. So what we're going to start with. This is like the Zillow segment now. It's usually the news segment. Um, and there was some major news coming out of an ongoing lawsuit that's in federal court. Um, federal Judge Thomas Zilly came out and said that the Rex real estate antitrust allegations against the National Association of Realtors and Zillow are, quote, plausible in an order that he drafted and was delivered on Thursday. What do you think about all this, Monica? It's definitely been interesting to follow. I mean, it's been going on for, it says, seven months now. Um, I know initially in June, Zilly had rejected Rex's request to issue an injunction against Zillow. Um, and then when we got the, on Thursday, we got kind of issued a totally different ruling. So it's definitely been an interesting story to follow for sure. Well, and, and what happens here with this, and, and I don't think anything's fast in the legal world. So seven months, that, that's like 10 minutes, right? Um, what I find interesting here, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that this is now the second time we've seen these courts kind of reverse direction a little bit. You know, first with the um, NAR um, DOJ lawsuit that was supposedly settled. And then they said, hey, just kidding. We're, we're not settling the suit anymore. <clears throat> now with this, I mean, you have the same judge reversing course. So what I know is that these things like these courts, these cases aren't going away. So um, what do you think this means for Zillow? Like, do you think that there's any merit to the case? I mean, personally, I, 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 I can't say that I do. Um, I mean, the splitting of the tabs between the agent listings and the other listings. I mean, that's Zillow had to comply with MLS in that respect. And by complying with the MLS, they have to comply with the NAR. So if NIR has a no commingling rule, then Zill has to kind of follow that. Uh, no one, this is one thing that never gets mentioned in, in this suit is that Zillow is a brokerage now and they have a different set of rules they have to follow. And one is you have to abide by the MLS guidelines. And, you know, there's a reason why Rex is homes. And, and for everyone listening, to give some perspective, Rex is a discount brokerage that will not advertise on the MLS. They only advertise through themselves. 
because they make all their money when they bring in buyers or double end sales. So they're, in my view, they're doing a lot of harm to clients by doing this, even though they're a discount broker. And judging by the MLS data that came out a couple of weeks ago, that non MLS listed properties sell for just under 17% less than MLS listed properties. I mean, they're ultimately they're hurting the consumer, but th that's not the point of the lawsuit. It's that, is this, an antitrust is this you know is this a monopoly i mean that's that's really what they're talking about here but zillow's a brokerage now you know right. remax doesn't have to put these on their site keller williams doesn't have to put these on their site so and, and there was apparently a 25 page order that was filed um and basically this is going to court so how, how do you think this plays out i mean <sighs> It's hard to say. I know Rex is saying that, you know, their case is that it's driving up residential real estate fees and making home ownership more expensive and a more difficult process. Honestly, I mean, everybody uses Zillow. Um, I don't see Zillow going anywhere. I mean, sure, their display might change a tiny bit at co coming out of this, but mm -hmm. ultimately Rex is the one refused, who refused to join the NAR. Well, and, and, and that's the point, and that there, there's plenty of companies that don't join NAR. Um, I mean, and there's plenty of companies that don't cooperate in the MLS, but you're losing exposure there. And right. you know what, what they, what Rex comes out and says, and, and you know, their arguments to me, this, their CEO, Jack Ryan, um, he came out and said, Rex is the only real estate industry player willing to fight for consumers in courts of law and public opinion against the cartel, which they were supposed to stop saying that, by the way, that was actually issued by the courts. Um, that is driving up residential real estate fees, making home ownership expensive and making the home buying and selling process difficult and obscure. And then he goes on to say the broker bosses do not want consumers to choose homes or the price they pay for themselves. Rex does. Yeah, I, I, this, this is almost nonsensical to me. Yeah. I mean, the market drives that. I mean, you can't say that Rex is the only one who wants consumers to choose homes or you know, the price they pay for themselves. I, that's just, I don't, I don't really buy it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and, and when you look at this here, so he's already violating a previous court order because they said specifically do not use the word cartel. cartel. Yeah. So, you know, my, my view is all this guy's doing it. I mean, we're actually doing him a favor right now talking about him. This is big news, but th this is what, what they're going to get. And what, what never gets talked about here is I've seen so many of these discount brokerages, they, come up, they do business for a couple of years, and then they're out of business forever. And this is probably another one of those. And you know, to choose homes, I mean, people can choose whatever home they want to buy. The price, well, if someone's willing to pay more than you, you don't get to choose the price if you want to buy the home. This is simple market economics. Right. So I don't know where he's, where he's coming from on this. And then, then he goes on to say, today's order is an important first step towards reining in the anti-consumer policies that have come to define big real estate and big tech. And the ruling points to long overdue changes that only Rex delivers to home shoppers nationwide. Uh, I'm just, I'm not seeing it because if you're a seller and you get 17% more when you go to an MLS and use the traditional route, I'm, I'm not leaving that money on the table. No. I mean, you know, you're, you're in this every day and, and you're working with buyers, you're working with sellers. So, you know, from the consumer standpoint, I mean, do you see any benefit with going with, with a Rex like company? No, personally, no. I mean, you know, less days on market, higher, higher price. I see no reason why you wouldn't want to use an agent. So the data tells Monica one thing. She's very, very straight and to the point. I love it. Um, you know, what, what I'm a little worried about here, I think, is that because this suit's not going away and, you know, then they talk about, um, 
you know, the, the, the NAR and DOJ lawsuit in this yeah. article. Um, and it, it goes on to say that there, there was some decree that expired in 2018 that should be read to apply to the industry developments, such as massive growth of Zillow and allegedly critical platform for marketing homes directly to consumers, which hardly existed in 2008. Uh, but then Zillow just wrote back and said, uh, or NAR, excuse me, wrote back and said, hey, they're disappointed in the ruling and they're confident that they're going to win. And uh, the NAR VP of communications, Mantel Williams, he said, we are disappointed in the decision, but remain confident we will prevail in court. NAR remains committed to defending the local broker organizations that create highly competitive markets, empower small businesses, ensure equitable home ownership opportunities, superior customer service. So, you know, I mean, Zillow and NAR don't seem too worried about this. Yeah. I mean, I know Rex says that their sales have plummeted since, you know, this segregation rule that they're alleging it as uh, was implemented. But I mean, I, I have to say I was surprised by the ruling that came out on Thursday because it says that the NAR sets the competition and the combined actions now constitute illegal restraints on trade and are also saying that Zillow now has a misleading labeling system that may deceive co consumers. I mean, Zillow's not saying that you know, other listings are non-agents necessarily, but they have to comply with the rules of the NAR. Well, and then that's what, I mean, again, when you're a licensed brokerage, you have a different set of standards you have to follow. And this right. is what enough people don't, don't talk about. Even you and I as realtors, you know, we have to do certain things differently than before you got your real estate license or I did. Like if I wanted to go buy somebody's house and let's say I was an investor or a wholesaler, I could just go knock on the door and do whatever I wanted. Right. As a realtor, you're held to a different standard. You have to identify yourself in a certain way in any sort of advertising or solicitation. So, you know, that that's what Rex just is not getting here. And, uh, you know, the, the when, when Housing Wire had a great take on this, if, if, you, um, if, if you jumped into it, because um, they, they identify that the Biden administration, they're intervening in these lawsuits. And there's definitely some pressure from the new, the new, uh, the, the new administration on NAR because we're seeing now a second time there, there's a, there's a reversal. Um, and they look at Rex's complaint specifically. And, uh, according to the ruling from judge Zilly, the U S justice department filed a statement of interest asking the court to, to decline, to draw any interference in NAR's favor from the 2008 consent de de decree, which now expired. And that decree dealt with whether NAR sanctioned MLSs could withhold data from consumer-facing websites like Zillow. And some people would argue that allowed for companies like Zillow and Redfin, which is very similar to Rex, to actually blossom and then they can build their own websites. I, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like they're arguing against themselves here. I don't, I don't understand all this. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think it's, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of confused. I, I thought... I thought this would have been put to bed by now. Um, I know, you know, things like this tend to go on for a bit until they come to some sort of resolution. But I just don't really see how Rex is going to be able to prove their point. Well, and, and Housing Wire also identified to exactly what you said. The judge's ruling is just looking at their legal claims and not the possible facts in the case. And if the lawsuit doesn't settle, the next stage is each party producing evidence to support their arguments and, and going through litigation. And... You know, again, NAR had a, had a written statement. Zillow kind of said the same thing. We believe and continue to maintain Rex's complaints are without merit. As MLS participants, we are required to buy, abide by the MLS rules and regulations. So let's say this goes to court. 
what happens? Do you think this goes anywhere? I mean, how, how do you think it plays out, Monica? I personally don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think it'll fizzle out after a while. I think maybe Rex just wants to be heard and are maybe a little disappointed that their sales have plummeted. Um, there, there certainly could be many other reasons that have nothing to do with Zillow um, that are causing that. So, you know, I think it'll fizzle out after a little bit of time, but I do think that Zillow and the NAR are going to come out on top personally. So Monica's on team Zillow, team NAR. This is one time where I think they're actually working together because a lot of people in the industry wouldn't, wouldn't view it that way. <laughs> what does this mean for, uh, for consumers? How do, how do you think this, this affects the consumer? I mean, it, it, it's, it creates a little confusion, I'm sure. Um, you know, for the consumers that are reading these articles, it could create a little bit of concern that maybe they're not being shown all of the information that they want to see up front. I mean, the display on Zillow is, it is pretty prominent. You can see the two tabs. There's no reason why someone couldn't click between the two tabs to see the properties. But, um, you know, it could create a little bit of concern. But Zillow is just such a giant and is, you know, the the primary site that I would say consumers use to look at properties. So I don't think anything is going to stop there. Well, I, and, and, and I, I agree with you there. I mean, Zillow's where all the eyeballs are. And, you know, I'm, I'm on Rex's site now. So what they, you know, I mean, I, I, this to me is a company that's in trouble. And it's like Purple Bricks a couple years ago. Uh, I mean, Assist to Sell is another one. We've seen these companies come and go. And what, what they're saying is we're going to sell your home, eliminate the buyer agent fee. And then they look to grab mortgage. And they look to grab title. They look to grab insurance. So they're doing the same thing all the brokerages are doing. And you know, it's I, I think what 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 the what the challenge is is that they they're not, you know, they're not getting the um the, the right exposure for their clients. I mean, if you're not syndicated, you're not going to be on Zillow. You're not going to be on a local MLS. Well, you know, why not take the property to the people that are selling homes like agents? Why not take the property to where all the eyeballs are? Because you're also missing. Forget Zillow. You're missing Realtor.com. Right. Trulia, Trulia, all the different brokerage websites. Redfin has an excellent website. Mm -hmm. um, all these places where people go, I, I mean, I, I don't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, I, you know, I'm surprised by the the, the change in the, in, in, the, in the judge here because it just seems like this this case is going nowhere. I just, I just don't, I'm, I'm having a tough time understanding it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with, I'm with you there. I, I definitely was surprised when the, like I said, in June, when they said they rejected Rex's request and then Thursday, you know, kind of came back with a, and flipped. So yeah, it's definitely interesting. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Um, who knows, maybe they'll flip back again. But yeah, I don't, I don't see Rex coming out on top on this. All right. So we don't think Rex is going to come out on top. Should NAR or Zillow be worried about the, well, not what I'll say, maybe is a little edgy here, the anti-business sentiment coming out of the White House now? Because this is a long list of things have happened. NAR, DOJ, 1031 exchanges, capital gains tax. I mean, is, is this going to stop, I guess, is the question. Because I don't, I don't think it has as much to do with this case as that the industry really seems to have a, a target on its back from the, the new administration 12 months in, roughly. Yeah, I think it's going to, I mean, I don't, I think there might be more things that come up. I mean, typically with uh, a lot of companies that get to the level that Zillow's at and just where where we are with Zillow, NAR, um, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of things that have come or a lot of actions that have occurred. And, you know, once you get to that monopoly kind of stage where you're really, you know, one of the head or the big hitters in the industry, yeah, there's going to be more eyes on it. Bring up a good point. The haters come out when you're doing something right. I've got no issue with that. And I think that's something you need to identify 
I mean, Jim Cramer, who we all know from uh, Mad Money, I mean, he called the Biden administration anti-business um, like on his show. So, I, you know, my, my view is this, that, I, you know, if you're in the real estate business right now, um, you've got to be figuring out how to protect your business. You mm -hmm. got to figure out how to build something that's going to be sustainable because there's so many different ways that, that the industry is being attacked. I mean, you look at what's happening with this case, right? Then you have Zillow hiring their own agents. Then you have all these other, like rocket mortgage creating a funnel. And, and I mean, these are big businesses that don't necessarily put the consumer first. So is this something as, as like a real estate agent? So you're, 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 you're in this every day, just like I am. Are you doing anything differently than you did a couple months ago, seeing some of this news come out? Um, you know, not really, honestly. I mean, I just, uh, continue to market any available properties. I mean, right now it's we're in a seller's market, so all properties have to be looked at. I mean, our inventory is still low, so um, not really doing anything differently, but definitely keeping my eye on it because there's definitely going to be potentially some fallout from all of the, the actions that have been upcoming or that have occurred in the past few months. Well, and there's going to be some things changing. I think you have a, you have a good point is that, and I mean, also, I, I would say that you're very disciplined and you do the right things you're supposed to be doing in your business, which is why you're so successful. Not every agent's like that. They just look for the easy magic bullet. That's like any business. Um, but I mean, if you look at some of the steps that have been taken here, um, you know, there's I mean, there's the um, the order, the, the executive order from President Biden back in July that impacted big tech. You got privacy laws are changing in terms of how you can advertise they're going to have greater scrutiny of mergers, um, having the FTC establish rules on surveillance and uh, data accumulation, unfair methods of competition. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many things happening. Um, you know, re restoring the net neutrality rules, limit early termination. I mean, these are things that it's just, it, it's, it's a lot that's adding up. And if you're in any sort of business right now, whether it's real estate or otherwise, I think you've got to have your eyes open and understand, okay, Let's say all this stuff goes through. What am I? What's the one or two things I can do that's going to keep me going? And I think that's how every person in the real estate industry should be thinking right now. Because, I mean, Zillow's going to do what they're going to do. Yep. DOJ is going to do what they're like. We're not going to stop any of this stuff. We can only control what we can control. And, and in my view, that's probably the biggest piece of advice for anyone in the real estate business right now. Yeah, and who knows how long this stuff is going to go on for. I mean, they're definitely, you can tell by all of the things that are, are happening, as you mentioned, that they are trying to put a lot more checks and balances in multiple industries. Well, and, and let's be clear, real estate, like, was not disrupted for a long time. For a long time. Uh, I mean, until like, very recently. And I mean, there, there's trillions of dollars being put in <clears throat> to VCs, fund, you know, that, that are going to be in the real estate sector. So, I mean, this is just kind of more more the same here. So on that note, what we're going to do, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about is the market normalizing next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? That's odd. I didn't play for a second. Over your income, whether you have a license or not. Get rid of the silence. 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. 
Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3. So I was, supposed, I was told you are supposed to do a commercial spot after the show. Is that correct? Dot com. Don't forget the S. Okay, so yeah, we'll do one after the show. Mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service. I'll ask Laura. Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610 610- Back in 15. Or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Monica Riera. And again, we work with the number one REMAX team in the Pennsylvania and Delaware region since 2018 at REMAX Mainline with the Tom Tool Sales Group. Monica's filling in for Stacy today, and we've got a really interesting topic to talk about next. And, and I, I think it's you got to look at what the headlines say and then what's actually going on. How often have we heard the market's normalizing? I mean, how, how many times have you heard that over the past, let's just say 30 days? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Quite who, a bit. Are you, who are you hearing it from? From the buyers, mostly. So buyers? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Hearing that we're in a bubble, uh, that eventually things are going to normalize and that we want to wait until the market stabilizes. Well, and, and, you know, the buyer's perspective is always interesting because they're doing what probably is best for for the buyer. What I'm I'm also seeing, you're seeing on the front lines of clients, there's also a lot of, like, news articles coming out, blog posts. You're going on CNBC, Forbes, you know, all, all these different news sites that track these things. And they're saying the market's normalizing. Yeah. Or are we in a bubble? You know, I've even seen some articles that said, is the Fed causing the bubble <laughs> um, because of their policies? And what we wanted to go over for the next 15, 20 minutes here was what's actually happening in the market. So, uh, so I mean, there, there's so many headlines out there that saying we're reverting to a more normal real estate market. Um, and the, the housing markets returning to the pre-pandemic numbers we saw from 2015 to 2019, which were still very seller-friendly, by the way. I mean, that's what a lot of people aren't getting. Uh, but it's it, we're just not seeing it happen. Um, and demand is strong. The market's vibrant, even while, even while the supply is still kind of slowly creeping back up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I wanted to start with a definition of normal. And this came from Keeping Current Matters from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. I love this. Um, is conforming to a type, standard, or regular pattern characterized by that which is considered usual, typical, or routine. So let's look at some of the metrics, Monica. So let's talk about mortgage rates first. What do you think about mortgage rates, how they factor into a normal market? I mean, you can see from the, the, I mean, it gives us kind of like the average rates by decade. So back to the 1970s, we're at 8.86. In the 2010s, we're in 4.09. I mean, you can just see how how different it is. And it's gone kind of, it shifted upwards for a bit, and then it kind of went back down. So, I mean, you can kind of see it's not really, I wouldn't say <laughs> we're in the normal, a normal um, from a mortgage rate perspective at this point. You bring up a great point. I think people don't, yeah. I mean, people complain when rates went up to like above 3% earlier in the year. 
historically, these are some of the lowest rates ever mm-hmm. recorded since they started recording and keeping track of mortgage rates for a 30-year fixed loan through Freddie Mac, right? So you bring up a great point. Like in the 70s, you're talking about almost triple the current rate, 8.86. 80s, they were in the teens. Um, yeah. 90s, still 8%. 2000s, they were in the sixes. And then now we've had this drop into like the four and now – I mean, Even lower. Well, now we're seeing 2.87, which yeah. is, I mean, it's been hanging there for a while. And with what the Fed's doing, I, I don't, their policy is like, let's hold and let's wait and see. I don't see this going up too much. I, I think they will creep up a little bit towards the end of the year into like the low three range. But even at low three, the Still affordability low. is so, it's, it's, it's incredibly higher than it was even 10 years ago. Right. So, I mean, you know, knowing that mortgage rates are, declining i mean do you think that's going to change the market is it going to keep the market going the direction that it is right now tell us more about that i mean i think it should be changing the market i mean low interest rates are a great reason why buyers should be getting out into the market now instead of opting to wait because you know right now is the time where you can lock in a lower monthly payment with a a historically low rate as you, you know as we can go through the numbers i mean right now is the best <laughs> of all those decades that are listed here since the 1970s, right now we have the lowest interest rates of all of them. So right now is a great time to be out and buying homes. Well, and and what people tend to forget is that you usually don't buy the home in cash. Like, I mean, we've seen more cash deals than ever before simply because of the metrics involved and, and the competitiveness of the market. W- what I know is that most of the deals we we do, most of the sales we complete, they're financed. And you're at 400 or 450, your down payment's not going to change that much. You're talking about like 80 to 90,000. It's still a lot of money. And that's assuming you're putting 20% down. That play of 10 grand there versus the rates going up even like a quarter of a point, your payment's going to be so much higher mm-hmm. that that's going to have the biggest impact here. And as long as rates stay low, there's going to be people that jump into the market because if they're buying their 20 year property or even they're buying a 10 year property and they're paying rent right now, which rent never goes down. It's just more affordable. Right, right. Yeah, and I know we're going to get into appreciation next, but, you know, with the appreciation that you can get out of the home, the lower monthly payment on top of what you get out of the house is just creates kind of a a great time for buyers. Uh, unfortunately, you know, inventory is still low. Um, so we still are in that seller's market, even though I know we're seeing kind of trending upwards, mm-hmm. but um, still a great time for buyers to get out right now, lock in that low, pr- low rate and lock in a low, low monthly payment, because ultimately that interest rate is, can really affect how much you're paying every month. This is like real estate mythbusters here. So we got one reason to bust the normalizing market. Let's go to number two, which is housing price appreciation. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, what we've seen just, uh, the average annual appreciation, according to Black Knight, um, it's, it's since 1995 is just about 4%, 4.14% to be exact. And according to NAR, we're seeing home price appreciation, uh, appreciation excuse me, of over 14% this year, which is going to be greater than any year since Black Knight began collecting its data. So is that normal? Tell me more about that, Monica. It definitely doesn't sound normal to me. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's it's definitely not normal. Uh, it is amazing for people that are out and buying homes because there's just so much, so much equity that you can get out of your house and so much, you know, potential. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's I definitely wouldn't call it normal um, that combined with the rates, you know, again, definitely doesn't say that it's a normal market to me. Uh, that's a 10 percent increase from 
1995 to today, which is just unreal. Well, and, and, you know, as, as let's, let's take off the home ownership cap and look at the investor you know, mm-hmm. point of view, right? Yeah. If someone came to me and said, Hey, you buy this asset <clears throat> and you're going to make 14% over the next 12 months, I'm asking where to sign. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no question about yeah. what, what it is. And if people look at it that way, because again, if you're not buying a home, let's say you're in a rental, cause that seems to be where you guys get stuck. I mean, I know like people are saying, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to keep renting. Mm-hmm. Well, instead, so you're getting zero and it's actually costing you money because you're, yeah. you're, you're not paying down a debt or paying down a note. It, it's costing you tremendous. Let's say your rent's $2,000 a year, mm-hmm. right? Or a month, excuse me, not a year, 2000 a year. That's a pretty good deal, but 2000 a month, right? Times 12, it's 24,000. Mm-hmm. And, 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 then there's no appreciation there because you're not buying anything. Right. There's no ownership. Just throwing money out the window. Versus, <laughs> and let's say that's a $400,000 house, right? Just to make the math easy, you take 400,000 times 0.141. That's a potential appreciation of $56,400. Plus you're paying down your debt. So you're actually paying yourself back for a cost you're going to have anyway, because you have to live somewhere. I mean, shelter's a basic need. So, I mean, the, the amount of money you're losing by not taking advantage of this appreciation, I mean, we're talking about a 1% a month almost, a little yeah, more so than that. What you just said is that 56000 is more than two years of renting. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's why I wanted to break down the numbers because people don't think that way. I mean, how many times do you have to actually break down the numbers with your, with your clients to help them understand, hey, the math is going to tell us the right way to go here? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that you need to do because it's, you know... It, even with the the interest rates too, just showing the closing costs or your monthly expected payment with the interest rates that are today, and then coupling that with the appreciation is just like a, a huge motivator. That's why Monica is good as what she does. She understands the numbers. She's got the calculations down. And that's the kind of stuff we teach at our team. So if you're thinking about getting into real estate, check out our real estate scholarship program. It's realestatescholarshipprogram.com. It's got all the details there. So what you're telling me, Monica, is that home price appreciation tells us that the market's not normalizing. Correct. Okay, Correct. so we're 0 for 2 here. <laughs> the next one, this has been the talking point for the I mean, it feels like years. According to NAR, the month supply of homes on the market um, is, I mean, the, the standing for the whole country is 2.6 months. That's less than half of a normal supply. And NAR defines this as month supply refers to the number of months it would take for the current inventory of homes on the market to sell given the current sales pace. Historically, six months of supply is associated with moderate price appreciation and a lower level of month supply tends to push prices up more rapidly. So we're not even seeing two. I would love 2.6 months here. We're yeah. at like 1.2, 1.3 in the suburbs in Philadelphia. It's pretty close to that in the city. So What's your observations around inventory? Um, you know, inventory is still low. I, I, we, we have seen a little bit of a trend upwards. And, you know, I know the expectation is that it will tick upwards a little bit. But it still is, I mean, still a seller's market. Uh, there still is not enough inventory to meet the demand that we're seeing. So we are still, still not normalized from a inventory perspective from any standpoint at the moment. Well, and if, if the national average is at 2.6, and then our market here in the greater Philadelphia area, because that's what we're talking about. We're mm-hmm. talking about buying into the market here, why the market's not normalizing. <clears throat> we're like 16% of that. We're at one six basically, of, of what they're talking about. Looks like that's also not normal. So 
I mean, how, how much inventory, I mean, would you, would you like to see on the market from a buyer's perspective? I mean, you know, knowing what we know and, and inventory's ticked up this year, we've seen it grow about 20%. It's just still very low. Right. If you get the buyer that says, Hey, I want to wait. We hear this all the time right. because people are scared of the market conditions and, and that's understandable. What would you, what would you advise those buyers when, when they say, I want to see more homes come on the market? What's your, what's your advice there? Uh, that honestly, right at the, the moment, uh, we're, we're not expecting a huge trend upwards in inventory. So there's waiting is not really for more homes to hit the market necessarily is really a beneficial choice because getting out and getting, looking at homes right now with given all of the points that we've already talked about still outweighs, you know, waiting. Mm. I mean, the inventory is, even if it does trend upwards a little bit, you're still, you're still going to be at a seller's market. We still have the the millennials out there all looking for homes and what there's 78 million of, of them that are projected to be buying a home within the next few years. So um, we're not going to see demand slow down. And I, you know, inventory is still just not going to be at a point where we can actually meet the demand. So it's still going to be a seller's market and waiting is just going to, you know, not really help help at all. Well, and and what you said there was, the, the millennial home buyers aren't going away. Like, I mean, they're, they're coming in waves and, and everyone typically, the, the main reason people buy is they have a life event. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. Like you find out you're, you're in a two bedroom and you find out you're having a second kid or you get married or you get divorced. Mm-hmm. All, all these things kind of happen. So you know, the life event typically causes that to happen. And there's so many of these millennials, there's more of them than baby boomers at their peak. And they drove the economy for decades. So until those folks get into properties, I don't see any of this changing. It's going to take a couple of years because it's just there's not the supply to do it. So your take on supply is not normal? Not normal. Not normal? Okay. Number four, days on market metrics. So days on market usually indicates how hot a market is and how quickly homes are selling. So prior to the pandemic in 2019, the average days on market was 35 according to NAR. Now that number on a national level is 17. Little le- it's a little longer here. We're, we're typically in that like three to four week period, depending if you're in Chester, Delaware, Montgomery County, and then Philadelphia, it's even, even a bit longer. So talk to me about that. What, what are you seeing right now? How are people navigating days on market? And what, what's kind of your client's expectation going out there? I mean, honestly, I've been in a lot of situations where the days on market has been a lot less than 17. Uh, we are seeing a little bit more leeway with days on market more recently. I think that's, you know, can be attributed to the fact that we were in, you know, summer months, uh, COVID restrictions were lifted, families were going on vacation. I think especially this past week uh, with Labor Day, you know, a lot of people were out with the family, not really mm-hmm. out looking at homes. So, you know, I have seen a little bit of a trend upwards um, in days on market, but, you know, we're still we're still seeing homes. I mean, if you look at the pre-pandemic versus today, we're still seeing homes sell in half the time. Mm-hmm. So ultimately still a hot market, uh, still a lot of demand for homes and, you know, homes are still selling quickly. So you're seeing that more often than not, they're in that, they're in that shorter range. So how, how do you advise your clients if they're trying to see if they can even you know, ha- write an offer instead of just bid a bit at or above the asking price. Like, ha- how are you training your clients or what, what metrics are you looking at locally? Um, you know, we're definitely looking at comparables to make sure that we're, you know, we're offering a fair price. I do, you know, a lot of times with the offer deadlines and, and seen some, le- you know, a little bit less of that more recently, but with the offer deadlines, a lot of the situations are highest and best. And, 
Um, you know, you have to go in prepared to, with, to have that discussion with your buyer. You know, at what price are you willing to lose this house? Um, and there's obviously some tools that we can talk about, like, an, you know, escalation addendums, which have been a little bit less um, successful or utilized more recently. Um, but, you know, there are some tools that we can work into the offer to make it stronger, even if it's not just the sale price. So you're, you're looking at strengthening terms. You're, you're also looking at like kind of what are the triggers here, um, which, which makes a lot of sense. So you know, what I'm hearing you say is that the days on market is also not, not normal. Not normal. Not normal. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Very insightful. I mean, if you're thinking about buying a home, that's, that's the way to do it. So um, the last one here, and, and kind of a good segue for what you just talked about, is that according to NAR, the number of offers per listing was an average of 2.2 2 in 2019. Today, the number's 4.5 offers per listing. So what are you seeing on, on the ground level, especially in our market, Monica? Uh, I have seen a lot of situations actually where uh, about three to four offers has been a little bit more of the, the quote unquote normal um, number of offers that we're up against at this point. Um, I know at one point, you know, there were, you know, people in our office that were up against, you know, double digit number of offers. Um, so, but I have seen a little bit more recently that we're up more against, you know, four to five or three to five, I should say. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, they're still showing that there are people out there that are putting offers in a homes and a lot of them are strong offers. I mean, um, you know, the homes are priced competitively and, um, as long as, you know, the agent is working with their buyer and showing them the the data to support why their prices make sense, um, you know, the list price is still, you know, to some degree, the starting price. Mm -hmm. no, absolutely correct. And, you know, with, with that number of offers, we're just talking about what Rex was saying and how people, they, they want to pay the price they want to pay. If you want to get the house, you have to pay the price that's going to get the house right. um, or the terms that'll get the house. And when you're dealing with this kind of, this kind of demand where there's, you know, four or five offers in on some of these things, it's just, it's very different. So, um, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think that's, that's a really astute observation there because th that's what you have to deal with. So I'm also hearing you say here <laughs> that the number of offers per listing is, is not, not normal. normal. Yep. So when someone comes to you and says, Hey, the market's normalizing or it's going the other way, I mean, do you communicate this information? Do you share the stats? What, what, what's what's the best practice here for the realtors that are listening? Um, I think definitely going through the stats is huge. Um, I think for for buyers, uh, understanding that you know we are still in a seller's market, we're still expected to be in a seller's market over the next couple of years, um, and meet that meaning that you know inventory is low, demand is high, and that you know you're not going to necessarily see these mortgage rates as they're at his all-time historic lows and not going to be able to potentially get that same amount of equity out of the house or appreciation um, if you continue to wait. So, you know, getting in right now is a great time because, you know, if you're looking at 14% appreciation over the next year, I mean, just imagine, you know, you, you did the math, it's $56,000 on a $400,000 home. I mean, that's just incredible. So, yeah, I mean, going through these these five main categories is definitely something that agents should be doing with their with their clients. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and you know, I th what, this is where being the knowledge broker is so important is actually knowing your stuff, knowing the data, knowing the market, because a lot of agents, they don't they don't put any time in the research or getting better. They just want to go sell some houses because they think it's going to be easy and show up. And, you know, one additional stat I, I, I 
I do want to share one thing here because I, there is a component to the market that is more normal than last year, mm. the seasonality. Um, because if you look at the T360 home demand index for the Philadelphia metro market for August, the home, uh, the, and they, they assign a number score to demand, and then they have a bunch of ranges. So a high, high demand is 130 and above, moderates 110 to 129, steadies 90 to 109. So home demand index from the prior month was 140. That's July. In August, it's 115. August of last year, it was listed at 137. Um, so there was a 16.1% uh, drop from the index last year and a 17.9% index drop from the previous month. And <clears throat> what's normal about that is a lot of people go on vacation in August. This is typically a, a quote-unquote slower month, despite people like Monica going out there helping a lot of folks transact during this time. So that is one aspect that is a little more normal as there is that, that kind of flow to your business. And, you know, because of when you got into the bit, you're probably like, what, what are you even talking about, Tom? I'm not used to anything else. <laughs> um, but this, I mean, that's a real thing where, all, especially with like back to school and yeah. people taking these last minute vacations, you couldn't even take a vacation. I mean, you could, but it was very different. So that's, that's one area where it's normal, but overall, I think, you know, what I, what I know is that we got five things here that tell you we're anything but a normal market. We're not typical. It's not routine. This is incredible. And people need to be aware of that. So on that note, we're going to take another quick break. And then we're going to come back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio and talk about how natural disasters affect transactions. We'll be right back. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610 439 8 Laura, Laura said Paula doesn't have the script. So next week. Tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. Please join us Mondays and Saturdays. At You're back. I'll fix that. I don't know why that's there. All right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Monica Riera. And again, we both work at the Tom Tool Sales Group with Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. You can find the show streaming live on YouTube and Facebook. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So the last segment here, Monica. What happens after a natural disaster? Obviously, a lot of people were affected with the uh, with, with with the hurricane last week, tornadoes. I mean, thing, and and I'm just you know glad we didn't see any sort of you know 
a lot of deaths and, and those things happened. There were, there were obviously some people that did pass and, and we're very sympathetic to that. Um, I don't want anyone to think otherwise here. What I did want to talk about, because I've been through a couple of these with like Hurricane Sandy and, and different things where there's a natural disaster that strikes a property and you're under contract, right? What do you do? What happens? Um, I mean, you, you, you were affected by this because I know you're out in Chester County and th- that got hit a little harder than where, than where, where I live in, in Montgomery County. I mean, you know, what, what, what's going through your head as a homeowner first? Because, you, I mean, you told me what was going on at your house. And then we can talk about how it affects these transactions. This is stressful stuff. Yeah. I mean, when you have the water table rise uh, pretty high, I mean, there are definitely opportunities for for water to get in the house. And that's just kind of a something you can't really do much about. I mean, luckily, I still had power. I mean, I, I feel very lucky. I mean, a lot of people had, uh, you know, a lot of damage. Um, but as a client or as a homeowner, I mean, the first thing you want to do is make sure that your house, your home is safe. And as somebody who's under contract on a home, you want to make sure that the home that you just purchased is going to be in, you know, a state where you can still afford it, (laughs) you know, that you're not dealing with a ton of damage on top of, um, you know, just the purchase of the home. Well, I think that that's a really good point is that, I mean, there, there's just, you know, there was a lot of people that got water in their basements. There's a lot of people that lost power and, you know, luckily it's not like heating season because that can be a whole nother issue. Um, and I've been through that with the, with the down tree on my street in the middle of winter. So, you know, no, so there's enough stress just as a homeowner. Now let's take it to the next level and Hey, your home's under contract and you're settling in two weeks. So there's, there's a couple parts to this that we want to want to all talk about and things that may or may not happen. You should be prepared for. So let's talk about what the, what the consumer's responsibility should be here. And let's talk about the seller specifically. Mm-hmm. So, what, you know, what, what do you see is, is let's say there, there was some sort of damage or, or something happened. I mean, what, 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 how would you be advising a seller in this situation or a buyer who's under contract and you find out that there's damage done to the property as well? So as a seller, disclose because it's going to come up um, even if your if your settlement's in two weeks. I mean, it, the buyer is going to see it on final yep. final walkthrough. I mean, a lot of the amount of water that a lot of people had in their basements, you can uh, there'll be smell probably some site, you know, I mean, it, disclosing is just incredibly important because if, if a lot of buyers waived inspections, um, and if they opt to have an inspection later on, I mean, that water, any water damage could come up on an inspection and then it could be a problem if it was not disclosed. Um, as a buyer, I mean, I know I got calls from, from buyers that, you know, are under contract wanting to make sure that the house was still in, you know, a condition and make sure that there wasn't, you know, a ton of damage to the property or wanted to know, was there water? Um, and luckily, most of the situations that I was dealing with, there there was minor, minor water, if any, um, and not really much damage at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a buyer, it's, it's concerning because if you did waive inspections, then, you know, you're kind of feeling like, what can I do? Well, and I think that, that that's a really great point. And, and to be very clear, the seller's obligation in the contract is to either fix whatever damage happened or give a credit. And if they don't do either of those, then the buyer can get out of the sale. Mm-hmm. So that's very clearly written in the standard agreement of sale. And you're absolutely right. I think it's, you know, you got to disclose everything. I mean, a lot of people went through this. Um, also, I mean, you get water in the basement, you clean it up. Maybe you have to repair some drywall and that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it, it's the, the more communication, the better. I mean, if you're not keeping people informed, 
that's where the mistakes are. And you don't want the seller to get caught on something silly. I mean, right. you know, I, I don't like at our home, we had some, a little bit of water come up underneath the foundation. I cleaned it up with a towel. It wasn't a big deal. You still got to let them know. Like I'd say, Hey, here's what happened. Here's what we did. Right. I, I would, you, you want to over disclose because when you don't disclose, that's a problem. I mean, it's, it's illegal. It's, you're not allowed to do it. And I, I think it's also important for people to kind of be a little patient right now because yeah. th- I mean, you know, it's, you got to extend out or you got to adjust. I mean, you know, pivot was the word of, of 2020. And I think this is another great, great, great situation where you need to kind of, kind of think about that. So that's what a, a consumer should be doing. So like, what should they expect? And, and what, what I'll kind of get into is like what happens with insurance and lending and, and all that. Uh, but from the, you know, the contract perspective, you know, what should people expect? Let's say they did have some damage to their property. What should, what sort of their expectations be for sellers and buyers heading into this? I mean, honestly, I feel like, you know, if there was damage to the property, you know, maybe an, maybe a walkthrough is is appropriate so that the buyer can, you know, feel comfortable in what happened. And, you know, I mean, I think what you said earlier, patience is is really something that we need to take into account right now. But, you know, we also want to make sure the the goal is for everybody to get to the settlement table. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to have happen is you go to a final walkthrough and find out that something is not in the condition it was when you first saw the home. And then it creates kind of a dilemma right going into settlement. So, you know, having an additional walkthrough or even a conversation just to kind of talk through and make sure that the buyer understands exactly what happened um, and what's being done to correct it is going to go a long way. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, you know, that that's the way to look at it is that, I mean, it's, the goal is to get to settlement. We just talked about this today. Like, and, and a lot of people don't realize that once you're in these transactions, everyone's working towards the same thing. You know, these things happen and the agreement of sale actually addresses what happens if this comes up. So I, I think it's important. Like if I was a seller and I wasn't sure, or you're an agent and maybe you don't know which happens, read the contract first right. and understand because Pennsylvania's agreements are different than maybe if you're listening in Jersey or Delaware or whatever. And, you know, they're, I mean, they talk about the, the, the risk of loss in Pennsylvania is on the seller. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if there's that much damage and, you know, there were some tornadoes that hit, I yep. mean, it wasn't, I mean, these, these houses are, are destroyed. I mean, right. that, that's, a, I mean, we're not even talking about water in the basement. You know, you're not, I mean, the, the buyers aren't going to be locked in if they can't come to an agreement. You know, I mean, there's a lot of money being exchanged here. So I think it's, I would read the contract, get clear on what they say and understand how that works. And I love the idea of another walkthrough because it's going to make everyone feel better. And there's really nothing to hide here. I mean, this was the whole region went through it. So that, 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 that's a really great point. What I'd also say is that be prepared for the mortgage lenders to maybe send out another appraisal, not an appraisal, yeah. but like some like an, an additional inspection. This happened during hurricane Sandy. This happened in previous natural disasters and hurricanes that were, I can't even remember them all. Um, the, the lender may want to go reinspect the property. And that's something you should be prepared for as well. And it's totally normal. It's not anything unusual because they got some skin in the game too. I mean, they're right. lending 80%, 70%, whatever it is. It's a lot of money that's exchanging hands here. So they may, they may look at that as well. And I think that's a, that's a real thing you need to be kind of, kind of be aware of. Um, so what about dealing with insurance companies? I mean, I think that's probably the big one. Like, I mean, what, what happens? I mean, it, it what, what, what's your advice on that? Maybe we should have had Kevin Hamill come on, but <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, with, with insurance, um, what, what would you recommend to someone that had some damage to their property? I mean, filing a claim is definitely something that, you know, you should do if there was damage, uh, and disclosing that insurance claim is something that is on the seller's disclosure Mm -hmm. and available to disclose. Um, so if, you know, the sellers do decide to, to go that route, they, they need to tell the buyer about it. Otherwise it will come up 
Um, you know, I, you mentioned Kevin Hamill. He runs, you know, he ran into something like that for one of the properties that I sold um, recently and it comes up. So it's definitely something that you want to make your buyers aware of so they understand that there is an insurance claim. It's also kind of a something that can, you know, help the buyer understand that the seller is taking the steps that are necessary to try and fix the issue. Um, and getting that insurance, if, if, you know, if the damage was enough to require a um, insurance claim and a check, you know, it's something that the buyers are going to want to know about because then it gives them a little bit of leeway too to be able to correct the, to ensure that the issue is being corrected. Well, and, and the, I think that, that, that filing a claim is the absolute right thing to do. I'd call your insurance person, mm -hmm. right? I'd also like be taking videos and photos. Yeah. I mean, because if you, if you see water pouring in by like a soil pipe or, or something like that, which happened to a lot of people I know, unfortunately, you have it documented and it's there and it's yep. going to make it easier getting the claim funded. Um, and I would be keeping records of like every dime that's spent here in terms of repairs and replacements and anything like that, because you want to get it back from the, the insurance company. Usually when you have more documentation, it goes a lot better for you. Um, I, you know, I know a lot of people that have been through this stuff. So I think that's kind of where, you know, you, you just want to make sure you got everything documented. It's really clear. And that, that way there, there's, there's no kind of debate of, oh, well, this might've been pre-existing or, or something that might not be covered in your policy. Yeah. And it might, I mean, it just, the, the storm itself might impact how many home inspections we see trying to go through on offers too. So mm -hmm. well, I think you're going to see a lot of that because I mean, and, and again, this is all stuff that's got to get disclosed. And when, when it comes to lending, like, like we said, I mean, buyers should be reaching out to their lenders to see if they're going to handle reinspections and also, you know, uh, ask the lender if there's going to be like fee waivers and, and are you, are they going to get charged for that? And you know, if you can extend the rate lock because there might be additional costs, timeframes might get extended, even if, uh, the property's not designated as, as a FEMA disaster area because there, there's going to be issues. I mean, it's no different than than some of these loans that they, they can't get an appraisal on because the condition's a, a problem. So anything else that, any advice for people, Monica? I mean, I know you had some water in your basement, unfortunately. I mean, uh, have you had any transactions kind of go sideways from this? Any advice you have for anyone listening? I haven't had any transactions go sideways, but I did have... Yeah, but I did have one situation where there was a little bit of water in the basement and we're talking about, you know, potentially getting in for a, a walkthrough just so the buyer can just see it. I mean, it was enough. It wasn't anything crazy. It doesn't sound like. But again, it's just reassuring for the buyer to be able to see, you know, what was done. And um, in this situation, it was very minor. You know, the sump pit didn't even turn turn on. So there wasn't enough water coming in that it really, you know, triggered anything additional. But it's just reassuring for the buyer. Um, to have eyes on the property, you know, one more time before the final walkthrough so that we can all make sure that we get to the settlement table and there's not, you know, an issue right before that time frame. So well, I think that, that that's why it sounds like everyone's kind of keeping a cool head, which is, I mean, that's the, that, that's the best thing I would tell people is that, hey, hopefully nobody died, number one. Right. And let's work through this together because obviously no one planned for this. This isn't anybody's fault. And, and that it's easier said than done. People get very emotional in these transactions and, and we totally get that. So just keeping a cool head and, and working together on it, that, that's going to go a long way. Uh, and just kind of be ready and, and, and be ready to over, overly disclose and, and, and share with people what's going on. I mean, you know, as much as we deal with this here, you're out in California, they're having wildfires right, right. now. I mean, there's earthquakes that happen. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that can go wrong. And the parties involved are going to be the other person in the transaction, the lender, if they're going to do a reinspection, the insurance company, the agents. And I mean, that that's going to be how the best way to communicate everything is just document it, 
get clear on what's happening and, and, and really just read the contract, and understand what, what happens. For sure. So, you know, n- knowing that, I mean, so, I mean, you, you had some water in your basement and I mean, was it anything that like triggered insurance or you guys just kind of bailed it out? No, How much no. did you get? Uh, we, we just bailed it out. Um, we had probably about like 20 gallons coming in, um, every 30 seconds for a bit. There were peaks obviously where it got, it got bad. Um, I know the borough, like where I live in, um, Downingtown, and they got hit pretty hard. Downtown. And there, there's, that, that's a, that's a that's a floodplain down there too. Right. Parts of it, yeah. Right. So yeah, I know there. I mean, it could always be worse, right? <laughs> well, that's for sure. I mean, there was. I mean, there was. I, I saw some video where someone was literally walking in their basement on a Nest camera, and then the guy walked by, and then like a minute later, the whole walk. I mean, the guy could have died. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a. It was very real for a lot of people, and I think they had to kind of understand what was going on and and just dealing with it. So it's, um, I mean, I think we came up with a good game plan here. So you know, with that, I mean, hopefully everyone's safe out there. It's been a traumatic week for a lot of people. That's our focus. It is a real estate show. We're going to help you guide guide you all through this. Monica, you did great on the show. Anything you want to leave the audience here here before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think uh, I think we covered everything. So let's give Monica some real credit here because she kicked butt, came in last minute. Very grateful for that. Monica, where should people follow you? On your brand uh, new Instagram account? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to uh, give out your phone number again on the show? <laughs> no, that was like a one-time thing. So <laughs> uh, no, my Instagram account is Monica P. Riera. So mo- we're going to make Monica post something this week. If you want to follow <laughs> us, or, um, or uh, I'm at, at Tom Tool the third, Tom Tool 3RD. Search us on Facebook. Check out the show on YouTube. Again, This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Catch you next week.